before seminary, I ran after-school programs for the YMCA. And of course, I didn't have favorite children. I love them all the same. But if I did have favorite children, uh, one at the very top of the list would have been a kindergartner uh, named Kyle. Kyle had a twin sister and an older sister, and they lived at home with their legally blind single mother. But Kyle was, as they say, all boy. He was a mix of Pigpen from Peanuts and Calvin from Calvin and Hobbes with a dash of Opie Taylor and a sprinkle of Mike Tyson. Um, His hair was a bright red mullet, and he could not stay out of trouble. And one day after Kyle had tried to solve another problem with his fists, uh, he and I had a long talk. And I told him how much I cared about him and how I needed him to control his temper so that I could keep him in the program. We talked about ways or strategies that he could do that. As a kindergartner, he was very eager for such strategies. And I said, Kyle, I, I, um, I, I need to know. I need to know that you understand exactly uh, what we have talked about. I don't want this to happen again, Kyle. If you have any questions at all, now is the time for you to ask. And he looked me right in the eye and just, just relief just washed over his face. Someone had finally given him the chance to ask his question. And I thought to myself, I'm really good at this. And um, he said, I have one question. And I said, buddy, ask away. He said... Uh, Mr. Gibbs, when will I be old enough to hunt animals? (laughs) I wasn't quite as good as I thought. Um, There was literally no change in Kyle after my wise words. And I am so often just like that with God. You know what I mean? I mean, I've, I've read every word of Scripture. I have some passage I've read probably hundreds of times. I've spent long periods of time in prayer. I have read commentaries and devotionals. I've led and participated in more Bible studies than I can even count. I have heard from the Lord. And yet I look at my life. And really there's just so little change. Just the other day I was driving down the road and and I I was just confessing the Lord. I, and I was I, I was just telling him really how much I hate how easily expletives just roll off my tongue. Uh, especially uh, sort of under my breath um, when things don't go my way. I'm sorry, Lord. I, I don't want to talk that way. I just It's just in me. It's just in me. I, I used to think of it as freedom, but now I think of it really as bondage because I just, it's, I, I just, I just, it's not changing and I confess that it's a lack of faith in your sovereignty and your um, and your purposes, you know, my, my trust that you're working everything to my good. I want you to change me, Lord. And just then, in the middle of that prayer, I missed an exit because a car wouldn't let me over. Expletive. I'm not going to tell you which one. Um, you know what's amazing uh, is that we see a similar thing in, in the great prophet Elijah. First Kings this morning. As we approach this text, it, it might help if, if you know that, that Elijah has just come off of one of the greatest victories in the history of 
of like history. You know, like he, it was just, he had just uh, had a contest on Mount Carmel with 450 other prophets, the, the prophets of the false god uh, Baal. The contest was to see whose god could light a sacrifice first. And the prophets of Baal had prepared the altar, they prepared the sacrifice, and they were dancing and wailing for hours. No fire from Baal. And Elijah starts to mock them. Maybe your God is sleeping. Maybe he's on vacation. And no fire. Because, of course, there was no Baal to bring fire. And Elijah, in the, in the, in the midst of a, a, a terrible drought, Elijah takes gallons of water and dumps them over his sacrifice just to prove the point. And he bows his head low before the Lord and asks God to reveal himself as the true God. And, and the fire comes down from heaven and is so hot that it burns up not just the sacrifice, but also the wood and the stone altar and the, all the water. It was a tremendous victory there on the mountaintop. And you'd expect, wouldn't you, that that gave Elijah a soaring confidence. At least a little swagger. But the treacherous king Ahab does not repent. But he goes and tells his even more treacherous wife, Jezebel, what Elijah has done. And Jezebel promises to kill Elijah within 24 hours. The spiritual mountaintop victory had not produced the results that Elijah had expected. And now Elijah was Deeply despondent, utterly depressed. He was felt he felt totally alone. His faith can be fragile. We saw that in our gospel passage with Peter, where every step on the water should have given him more confidence, but he took his eyes off Jesus and began to sink. His faith can be fragile. And so Elijah goes to Mount Horeb, which was a 40-day walk south. Perhaps Mount Horeb is better known to us as Mount Sinai. It was actually the very mountain on which God had given Moses the law many centuries before. And Elijah hides himself in a cave, maybe even the very same cleft in the rock that Moses had hid himself in when the glory of the Lord passed over and that's where we find Elijah this morning. And God speaks to Elijah and he says, uh, he says, Elijah, what are you doing here? And Elijah in despair says, you know, I have done everything right for the Lord. And now I'm completely alone. And they're going to kill me. And God says, watch this. And a tornado comes. And an earthquake and a fire. We're not told how long all this takes, but we're told that the Lord caused them, but He was not in them. And then there's the still, small voice. You know, the literal translation in Hebrew uh, is that it was a thin silence. There's nothing. Or at least nothing spectacular. Just an ordinary day. A little overcast, bird chirping somewhere in the distance. 
God was in it. So Elijah has seen these extraordinary sights. He's experienced the presence of the Lord. He's heard from the Lord. And the Lord speaks again and says, Elijah, what are you doing here? And Elijah says, I've done everything right for the Lord. And now I'm completely alone. And they're going to kill me. There's no change. Absolutely no change in Elijah. And I think that's so strange. But sort of comforting too. That even the great prophet Elijah didn't always get it right away. You might expect that Elijah uh, would have felt the cool breeze of God's presence and refreshed and up and ready for action. But no, despite hearing the voice of God Almighty, Elijah remains in the cave of despair. He's burnt out. He's tired. He's disappointed. And it just takes a while. It takes a while for him to understand what God was saying through the tornado and the fire and the wind. Silence. That God doesn't always work in the spectacular. He's in the ordinary. He's working through the regular course of normal, unspectacular life to fulfill his spectacular purposes. And we want Mount Carmel, right? We want the fire from heaven and the tornado. and We want the earthquake. And on a rare occasion, that's, that's what God does. It's exciting. But more often, God is in the silent times. He's in the ordinary. Even and perhaps especially when things look bleak, hopeless. He's there. He's working to our good and for His glory. And that is incredibly assuring. You know what's even perhaps more assuring still in this passage? That God doesn't get frustrated with Elijah's lack of change. There's no impatient expletives whispered under his breath. That's what I would do. No scolding. No, how many times do I have to tell you? No punishing, no abandonment. God graciously tells Elijah that he's going to continue to use him. In fact, uh, in this case, to anoint important leaders. And God also tells him that he has reserved for himself a remnant of 7,000 faithful worshipers. In other words, the faith of Israel is not dependent upon the success of of Elijah, which points us straight to the truth that the purposes of God are not dependent upon our performance for God. And don't get me wrong, you should change. You should repent daily. You should ask God to reveal to you those places in your life that you that are not yet under his lordship. That you should pay attention uh, carefully to the directives given to us in Scripture. And you should work to live a life worthy of the calling uh, that you have received in Christ. You should turn from your idols and your, your pet sins. And love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. You should. 
And so should I. But let's be clear. The purposes of God are not dependent upon whether or not you and I get it right. Because He has already gotten it right in full in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He has poured out His wrath against our sin, which is to say, against our insistence that we be gods unto ourselves. Against our obstinance. Against our idolatry. Against our lack of change. All of that poured out on God the Son so that God the Father may have perfect patience with us. Isn't that incredible? Isn't He amazing? He has hidden us in His righteousness. Rock of ages cleft for me, let me hide myself in Thee. You know, in fact, Elijah, several hundred years before Christ, was just as dependent dependent upon the grace of God given in Christ as you and I are. We are kept in the cool cave of Christ's righteousness and grace. So the pressure's off. It is finished. He loves you. So repent, work towards change, but do it as a thank you, not as a plea. Like me, you might be frustrated with your lack of change in your life as a Christian. Or like Elijah, you uh, might be suffering through a season of desperate disappointment. In this passage, Elijah's issues are evident, but they're not central. What is central is God's faithful abiding with Elijah. The assurance that his purposes are worked out in the ordinary and that the proliferation of his purposes are not dependent upon Elijah's success. See, if we dwell centrally on our lack of change, then we will continue to be discouraged. Or if perhaps we achieve change, we will become prideful. But if we dwell instead on the greatness of God in Christ, and the richness of His mercy, if we dwell on His soaring character and His sovereign purposes, if we dwell on God, And we will one day be able to look back over the course of our lives and see not mere change, but transformation for which we will only be able to say, Thank you, Lord.